Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm fine. It seems a while since we've uh, we've done this. It has. It was a bit of a week last week. Um, yes. <laughs> we uh, took a little trip to the Victorian era and were struck down with scarlet fever in this house. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> uh, it was a little bit rough over here for a bit, but we're all on the mend now. Um, good. That's good to hear. Had a ruined our Jubilee celebrations and bank holiday enjoyment, though. But hey, well, it is what it is. <laughs> indeed, I'm sorry about that, but uh, it was yeah, a, yeah. it was a good weekend of celebrations for the Queen, or well, mm-hmm. the ones that she turned up at, anyway. Yes, <laughs> everyone else yeah. had a good time. Yeah, I enjoyed the bits of the concert that I saw, <laughs> yes. um, even though it was the most random lineup, like just the weirdest combination of of people and I think my biggest takeaway from the whole thing was like just how old everybody's getting yeah there is that <laughs> like there queen that. looked really old jason donovan looked really old duran duran really old. really old yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean everyone's seen the uh the paddington sketch which was brilliant and lovely and everyone loves that but the drones were just phenomenal yeah. i can't believe they actually did that live that was pretty impressive without rehearsal on that site they they'd yeah. rehearsed, but somewhere up in the north of England, apparently. So ah, there you go. <laughs> so clever. It is clever. Amazing. Yeah. How really that clever. technology works. It must be good fun to to work on something like that. My my favourite was Sam Ryder. I'm like a total convert. <laughs> he was just so great. He's just got so much presence about mm. him, and he's just such a great performer. And he seems just like the nicest guy. I yeah, hope he... he goes far. So tonight. I am going to talk to you about the Lake Bodum murders. Ooh. So we're going to Finland. I don't think we've had any Finnish cases. Do you know? I don't think we have, no. So, yeah, we're going to Finland for the first time. On the 4th of June, 1960, 15-year-old friends Myla Bjorklund and Anja Meki of Espoo in Finland set out on a camping trip with their 18-year-old boyfriends, Seppo Boisman and Nils Gustafsson. They were staying at a well-known campsite on the shores of Bodominijervi, which is known in English as Lake Bodum, which is about okay. 20 miles outside of Helsinki. They arrived and set up camp, and it was literally like one of those tents. It's like two poles and a piece of material that goes over the top of it. Okay. So <laughs> nothing particularly sophisticated. And they spent an afternoon enjoying their time in nature, swimming in the lake, in the woods, having a lovely time, enjoying their time in this beautiful part of the world. However, they didn't enjoy their trip for very long, as sometime between four and six o'clock the next morning, Myla, Anya and Seppo were brutally murdered and Nils was severely injured. Wow. Anya and Seppo had been bludgeoned to death and stabbed and Myla had suffered the worst injuries she was found undressed from the waist down and was lying on top of the tent and had suffered the most injuries out of all of them she'd been stabbed multiple times and after her after she died as well so there's like a real case of overkill there and the other two teenagers were kind of killed with less brutality but it was a pretty horrific scene 
Nils had also been found lying on top of the tent and he had fractured facial bones, concussion, and he had had a stab wound in his forehead. Um, and he, once he was kind of taken and, and recovered, he stated that he'd seen a glimpse of an attacker who was clothed in black with bright red eyes coming for them. Mm. So the bright horrific... Bright red eyes. Bright red eyes, yes. <laughs> so this horrific scene of, you know, these three dead teenagers and this boy who was really, really awfully injured was first stumbled on by a group of bird watchers the, the, uh, the morning that it happened, who noticed that they were there and their collapsed tent on the lakeshore. Yeah. And they also reported seeing a blonde man walking away from the tent. The bodies of the victims were also discovered at about 11 o'clock by a carpenter locally who was kind of walking by the lake and he alerted the police who arrived on the scene at noon. So from the start, the crime scene was a confusing one. Rather than the attacker going in the tent and stabbing the teenagers from the inside yeah. it appeared that he had attacked or he or she had attacked blindly from outside the tent so they'd kind of just gone up to the tent and stabbed through the walls of the tent stabbed through the material wow yeah and they'd clearly used a knife but the body showed evidence of another weapon because they, they all had like this blunt force trauma as well and i think it was possibly a rock that had kind of been used like through the walls of the tent but they never found a knife and they never found a rock that they thought had, had done this. But from their injuries, it looked like that was kind of the most likely scenario. Hmm. Several items were missing from the scene, which added kind of another layer of mystery to the crime. For example, the keys to their motorbikes were gone, but their motorbikes themselves were still there. That seemed a bit weird that they'd taken the keys, but not stolen the bikes. And Nils's shoes were, were missing and they were found about half a mile from the tent along with bits of his clothes. Is Nils um, the one that survived? Nils is the one that survived, right. yeah. yeah, which is strange as well. The police failed to take any official recordings of their findings. They didn't actually cordon off the area. And shortly after the police left it, onlookers and campers came and kind of all but destroyed the scene. Um, and in, a, in an attempt to kind of rectify their mistake, the police enlisted the help of soldiers and the general public to search for missing items and any evidence. But it just meant that the site was kind of further trampled and nothing was found. It was totally contaminated. No evidence, nothing there that they could really use. Nils was taken away and, you know, looked after. But he was he was kind of looked after and 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 recovered. And once he was feeling better, he was put under hypnosis and he gave a description of the perpetrator, which was used to create a series of composite sketches. Okay. And at one of the victim's funerals, a man bearing a striking resemblance to the sketches was actually spotted in the crowd. And I believe there's a photo of that, but he was never identified and he was never kind of stopped or spoken to at the funeral. But I think that's quite common, isn't it? That if somebody commits a murder then they'll often either go back to the place of the murder yeah. or they'll go along to the funerals of victims to kind of see what they've done it's all part of that power yes. macabre thing that yeah they, it's yeah. not unusual for police to go along to funerals to keep to see who's in the yeah see if anyone kind of turns up at funerals so 
we've got these three murdered teenagers, this one very injured but recovering teenager as well, all but destroyed crime scene, and a few suspects. The first of which was a gentleman called Vladimir Gilstrom. And a lot of people suspected him. He was a kiosk keeper and he lived close to the area, kind of worked in the area. He lived about half a mile from the lake shore. Yeah. Um, and he was known to have been quite hostile towards campers. Ah. But the police found no hard evidence to link him to the actual murders. But Vladimir made several confessions when he was drunk and also when he was sober to say that he had committed the murders. The police were sceptical of these confessions because they considered him to be disturbed. But he did know kind of details about the crime that the police didn't think that people would have known about. So whilst, you know, he kept kind of confessing to it and the police said, no, you're not. He was a a potential suspect for a while. However, he drowned himself in Lake Bodum in 1969. Oh, gosh. The people in the town knew him as as violent. They knew that he'd kind of cut down tents and thrown rocks at people who'd come into his street and also kind of camping in the woods before. And some have said that they think that it was him that they'd seen coming back from the murder scene, but they were too afraid to call the police about him because he would have killed them. The police never recovered any DNA from him. And a book was released in 2006, which talks about this theory in detail. But the book says that the police pretty much immediately ignored any evidence that was was given to him because of language barriers, amongst other things. There's also the fact that when his wife was on her deathbed, she said that she knew that he'd committed the murders and that she had lied about being his alibi for the night that the murders took place. And she'd been afraid to say anything before that point because... Yeah, she was scared for her life. So Sounds like he was the one then. It it does. Until we hear about a guy called Hans Osman. It's oh. actually spelled Hans Asman, but apparently you'd say Osman. <laughs> Asman. He was another probable suspect. He was rumoured to have been a former KGB spy living very near to the shores of the lake again. Over the years, he earned a reputation as somewhat of a recluse and combined with these KGB rumours resulted in him being suspected in several murders, although none of the accusations stuck. However, the morning after the attack, he had gone to the Helsinki Surgical Hospital with fingernails black with dirt and his clothes covered in red stains. Hospital staff reported that he was nervous and aggressive, but other than kind of brief questioning, the police didn't pursue him any further and they said that he had a solid alibi in regards to the murders his clothing was never investigated despite doctors insisting that it was blood on them he also matched the description of the blonde man fleeing the scene that the bird watchers had seen mm-hmm. and he is he's, he looks incredibly similar to the composite sketch pictures that were drawn after nils had been hypnotized Nils described the person that he saw and also the birdwatcher described that the person had had kind of long blonde hair. And as soon as he found out that the description was going around, he cut his hair very short because he had kind of like long slicked back hair up until that point. And he cut his hair very short following a newspaper article. So he also sounds like he could potentially be a a suspect. suspect. However... In March of 2004, so 44 years after (laughs) it had taken place, 
Nils Gustafsson, the sole survivor of Lake Bowden, was arrested and brought to trial. Really? Police claimed to have suspected him all along and insisted that there was enough evidence to support their claims. The police claimed that his shoes had been worn by the killer during the attack, evidenced by the fact they were covered in the victim's blood, but not his own blood. During the trial, the prosecution claimed that uh, Nils had gotten drunk and then had been kind of thrown out of the tent because the girls weren't happy about that. Right. And then when Seppo made an attempt to talk to him, a fight then started, um, which apparently Seppo won, resulting in Nils is having a fractured jaw and the broken facial bones, and that's how that happened. Yeah. And then he was angry at the fight. He'd gone back to the tent and in a blind rage killed his girlfriend and his two friends. And then he inflicted the rest of the superficial stab wounds on himself, tried to hide his shoes and staged the rest of the crime scene. My issue with that is he was only 18. That feels like quite a sophisticated way of thinking and quite a lot of rage to have like kind of come out of nowhere to just kill three people as brutally as he did and to think about how he was going to kind of cover himself up. It had always been known that the shoes had been hidden by the killer 500 yards away belonged to Nils, who was found barefoot on top of the tent, which I think is weird. Like, why would he take his shoes? Why would Mm. somebody else take the shoes and put them somewhere else? But then why would he move his shoes 500 yards away somewhere that he could find them and then walk back to the tent when there's, I can't find anything about like tracks like there's footprints moving away but there's nothing kind of coming back but could you've kind of got rid of those or i think the the shoe thing is weird yeah very odd modern dna analysis was also significant for the prosecution as it showed that the three murdered victims blood was on the shoes but his was completely absent so there was none of his blood whatsoever on his own shoes and he'd been stabbed so why was the none of his blood on the shoes mm-hmm. when he'd been unless kind of injured in so much. Unless he'd stabbed himself after he'd After he'd shoes. already taken the shoes off, yeah. Or the person took the shoes off and then moved the shoes and then went back and hurt him. I don't know. It's a but, The shoes are a sticking point for me. Yeah, if it had been someone else, if they'd have known that he was alive, they would have probably... Yeah. Killed him. They, they wouldn't. wouldn't have, they would have knowingly left him alive, probably. And they no, and they wouldn't have taken the trouble to, like, make sure that his blood wasn't on their shoes, mm. unless it's just chance that his blood wasn't on the shoes. But his injuries were so different to the other people's as well. Like, right. they were stabbed and kind of bludgeoned with this rock, whereas he'd obviously kind of taken this beating to the face and then had this kind of superficial stab wounds. The prosecution said that the fact that his blood wasn't on the shoes and that his injuries had occurred at a different time to the attack of the murders, that the only explanation for this was that he'd committed the murders, then faked the theft of the items by hiding them, further injured himself, and then went back to the tent where he pretended to be unconscious. And then the prosecution said that the the bird watchers thought that they actually saw the Nils at the scene because he was a tall blonde man, not somebody else. Right, Vladimir okay. or Hans. Sorry, not looking good for Nils, is it? Apparently, he had also 
confessed to a woman who came forward a decade later saying that he'd confessed to her about his guilt, but I don't know why she wouldn't have come forward at the time. Hmm. But Nils's defence dismissed the story, saying that if Seppo and Nils had really got into a fight, Nils would have been too injured to murder his friend, which is fair enough, because if he'd have been smashed around in the face and had been so injured as he was, mm-hmm. how did he then turn around and have the kind of wherewithal to murder yeah. his friends so much? So viciously and... Yeah. Uh, yeah let alone walk more than a half mile round trip to hide his shoes. So, you know, because it was, if his shoes are 500 metres away, mm-hmm. that's like a kilometre he had to walk what, to like in, hide his shoes and come yeah. back again. What, what injuries did he have? So his, his face, he had, he had a fractured jaw and fractured facial bones. He'd been stabbed in the forehead and he had other superficial stabs and he'd been concussed. Okay. His, uh, his legs were okay. His legs were okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but... He'd taken quite a batter into his head and his face. Hmm. Um, another piece of evidence that is quite interesting and is probably the closest bit of solid evidence that an outsider committed the crime is that a pillowcase was found next to the tent, which was kind of wrapped up and tied with an elastic band. And both blood and semen were found on the fabric. And the donor of the blood couldn't be determined but that could mean that it was a mix of multiple victims because obviously forensics in the 60s weren't that great but the semen couldn't be matched to either of the teenage boys either which really does bring up the question that was it somebody else however was it more that the the testing was not good but does it mean that you know it was 1960s testing or does it mean that there was somebody else that committed yeah. it but they didn't retest that in 2004 oh, because okay. they don't know if it even still exists so i wonder if maybe someone had come to the tent and he'd almost like stood up to them and they'd kind of beaten him up and left him assuming he was dead and then killing the others yeah i see coming back to the idea that if if an outside perpetrator had done it they wouldn't have knowingly left him alive. No, but that's the thing. If he was like so unconscious, he might, they might have thought he was dead. So okay, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, the defence won, and a year after he was arrested, he was acquitted of all charges. And the okay. court explained that the verdict was because of the prosecution's evidence was inconclusive. There was failure to show that he had a motive appropriate of a crime of such extreme seriousness. Because okay, yeah, if he's if they had a bit of an argument. And him and his friends had a bust up. Why would he yep. then go and kill them all? Like that's that's really extreme. <laughs> um, the top, isn't it? Yeah, and there was no real certainty about kind of any facts now that such a long time had passed. It had been yeah. forty four years, and to this day, suspicion remains. No further suspect has been named. No, ev- no evidence has been found. And people go there apparently quite often to like see if they can like find anything that might wow. help the case. And the Lake Bowden murders remain Finland's most horrifying and longest unsolved crime. Unsolved. Oh never yeah. never good. No. I mean, I think there's real there's credit for all three of those people. I mean yeah. you know, I think there's definitely some suspicion around Niels and what he could have potentially done because 
there's a lot of things that point towards that yeah it probably was him but there's also a lot of things that would plant that that reasonable doubt as to why you, you couldn't convict him of it the guy who you know com- who killed himself in the lake who confessed to doing it yeah but then there's no hard evidence to attach into it but is that just because the police did such a poor job of it and you know he was known for being vicious to campers it um, sounds like they well back in the 60s they wouldn't have had quite the same forensic sort of processes that they have yeah. now as you say the keeping the site sterile that obviously didn't happen did it um, nope yeah have they still got any of the artifacts from from the time i think so yeah because they they put things to trial in the in 2004 and they tested the shoes and stuff for dna right. so they must have kept stuff and preserved it so yeah Ooh, it's a bit of a conundrum mm. Yeah, I maybe quite a like, cold case. Uh, yeah, I quite like cold cases or ones that <laughs> haven't got a kind of clear answer because I think they like they really make you think, don't they, about kind of all the different possibilities. Like John Bonet. I mean, you could go on for yeah. years going through all the different possibilities of what happened, and it's so frustrating, but also really interesting. Like Madeleine McCann, what happened there? Yeah, and Michael Peterson. Michael Peterson, what happened there? <laughs> what did actually happen? Yeah. And the weird thing is, somebody knows. Somebody knows who killed John Bonnet Ramsey. Somebody knows what happened to Madeleine McCann. Somebody knows yeah. what happened to Kathleen Peterson. Yeah. But we'll never know. And well, somebody knows what happened to Myla, Anya, Seppo, and Niels. Yeah. But we'll probably never know. No. Because somebody killed them. They didn't just kill them. Oh, yeah. Well, what was the, the the man with the blazing red eyes? Well, exactly. What was that? Was there some sort of kind of, was it a ghost or like some sort of demon that did it? Is that a possibility? And I think there's a horror film that came out that was called Lake Bodum about people being murdered around Lake Bodum. So was it a kind of, you know, ghost thing? Mm. If Niels was it? saying that whatever it was had red eyes, what, he could see at night, in the night? Yeah, well, it was well. If it was between four and six o'clock in the morning in June, oh, it would have yeah, started no, to be light. It would be very light in in Finland. <laughs> They're pretty yeah. much twenty four hours daylight in June. Yeah, yeah. It probably never gets properly dark anywhere in Finland. I wouldn't have thought in June. So that does sound a bit fanciful, doesn't it? Yeah. Like but then weird film. that he kind of said like about the red eyes, and then under hypnosis was able to give this kind of description of somebody. Mm. hypnosis but, yeah well then there is that whole question isn't there like <laughs> <laughs> how legit is hypnosis i mean sometimes it can be but maybe he was faking it who who knows That's yeah it. but he was only 18 he wasn't well, no, yeah okay 18 years can <laughs> fake it but yes is he still around yeah i think he's still alive okay 60s he'd be about 80 now then wouldn't he but yeah a really weird one and one of those cases that really makes you think, I think, like, like you said, like with that um, Vladimir guy, like you said, like, oh, it must have been him. You think, well, maybe it was him. <laughs> well, it sounded um, convincing at the time, didn't it? Did yeah. you hear the uh, the other alternatives? But if there had been no other alternative other than Vladimir, would he have been found guilty? I don't know, because at yeah. the point, was he the only person who could have potentially done it? There's lots of pictures, lots of pictures oh, well, of the people 
who were involved as pictures of Nils after he was injured and him kind of recovering. There's pictures of the weird guy from the funeral. And that's the thing that is a bit weird is the picture, the, the description that Nils gave of the man makes him, like from the from the artist's impression, he looks a bit creepy. And then this picture from the funeral the guy looks exactly like it, but really creepy. He's got this like massive chin and like he's probably like, goggly eyes. It's really creepy. <laughs> I mean, I personally think that like the character fit thing and Hans Usman look unbelievably similar. They do look very similar, yeah. Yeah, they do. Like probably one of the closest sort of like fit drawings I've seen. But uh, yeah. It's the eyes, like, like the really like round mm. sort of like goggly eyes, and then the picture from the funeral is yes. really creepy as well. In the case of these deaths, so they, there's no way they could have been an accident. Somebody definitely did those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, Whereas with like the Kathleen Peterson, there is always that question that maybe she did maybe just she fall. Did down fall. The stairs. Yeah. If anyone's wondering what we're talking about, the staircase. <laughs> Both the dramatization and the real time documentary. The documentary is on Netflix, but the uh, the dramatization's been on Sky recently. Yes, it has. And I know David Rudolph's been spending a lot of time complaining about how inaccurate it is. Yeah, well, so, they've dram- dramatized. I think that's it. the thing, isn't it? It's a <laughs> it's a dramatization. I will I will share some photos. There's a lot of photos. Um, there's actually a photo of kind of the crime scene with the bodies all on top of each other, but I probably won't share that one. I'll leave you to find that Ooh, one. Yeah. Um, Easily findable. Yeah. And it would, I yeah, and there's photos of the e-fit that was drawn and also the suspects and and things like that. So I will share those photos. I will share them on our okay. Instagram. At Dad and Daughter Do Death. And I'll share them on Facebook. Dad and Daughter Do Death. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can always email us at dadanddaughterdodeath at gmail.com. Thank you very much for that story, Phoebe. It was, uh, yeah, real real mystery. You are welcome. And um, as with kind of every story that we cover, it's kind of the the top line, really. There's, there's sure. loads of suspicions and theories <laughs> and things into it. And, uh, yeah, it's worth worth looking into. Yeah. Yes, if this has uh, piqued your interest, then, well, just use your favourite internet search engine to uh, to look up Bodum Lake murders, and I'm sure you'll find lots of stories, write-ups, pictures Yes, around it, yeah. as you will with any of the stories that we cover, really. Yes, definitely. There's lots and lots of stuff out there. No, thank you very much indeed for that, Phoebe, and uh, thank you for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed it, drop us a line, leave us a comment, leave us some stars or something on your podcast provider. That would be great. Thank you very much, and I look forward to hearing your story next time. So join us next time, and once again, Dad. And daughter, do death.